This is the FBCG Live Podcast with Pastor John K. Jenkins Sr. Today's message is entitled, The Sermon on the Mount. Internal behavior starts with your heart being changed. Wherever you're joining us from, we pray this message encourages and empowers you in your daily walk with God. I'm starting a series tonight that I'm calling The Sermon on the Mount. That's what we're calling it, The Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it, is, it is a sermon, a message, a series of messages of teachings that Jesus gave uh, in Ma- that are recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It is three chapters of just Jesus talking about some of the most pertinent issues in life. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open it up starting in Matthew chapter 5. Just hold your Bible there. We're going to be walking through chapter 5 today, and for several weeks, actually, we'll be in chapter 5, and when we get through chapter 5, we'll go to chapter 6, and then on to chapter 7. It is a, uh, a structured way of study. I normally do a topical message uh, on Tuesday nights, but I feel led of the Lord to uh, walk you through uh, this, these, these, uh, this Sermon on the Mount where Jesus really, really deals with some really, really key topics, and I'm going to tell you what they are in just a moment and where they're no, noted and we we won't have the um, you don't have to write all these down you can matter of fact you can probably go through your Bible and find find them all uh, but this is going to give you an outline of the type of topics we're going to be covering uh, I'm sure for the rest of this uh, spring and uh, I'm probably sure uh, on it on into the fall and uh, I believe uh, these, uh, these teachings are pertinent to your life. It's very pertinent to your life. And I believe God has given us, through Jesus, the clarity of what his expectations are. So it is the series on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5 through 7, uh, that Jesus gave and taught on the Sermon on the Mount. It covers several areas. And let me begin to walk through what those areas are. Again, you don't have to jot these things down that I'm going to go through now, because I know y'all are great note takers. We have great people who take notes and want to, don't miss anything. But uh, for this first section here that I'm going to go through all these topics that we're going to cover, you're not going to be able to keep up with me in going through each one of these points. But the first one uh, in verses uh, 1 through 12 of chapter 5 deals with the attitude, God's attitudes. And, and we, we call it, it's called the Beatitudes. And I, I, I like to call it the B attitude, the attitude that you should be. Uh, and we're going to look at those tonight. Uh, and then following that, we're going to deal with how we're called to make an impact on the community. Uh, any, any church or ministry that's not making an impact on your community, you're missing out one of the very early things that Jesus called for the church to do. Uh, I say to churches often, if your church closed down or disappeared and your, and your ministry is not missed and the people don't recognize that you closed down, then the fact of the matter is you're not really impacting your community. And so we, we First Baptist Church of Glenarden, and every church should want to be uh, those who are making a difference in the community where you are located and where you are serving. Then we're going to talk about the role of the law in relationship to Christ himself. Again, this is a very important point as well because uh, there's much debate and, and controversy about the role of the law uh, in our lives. And the Bible is, uh, Jesus gives us clarity about what the, what, the, what the law does and how the law functions and how it should be uh, incorporated in our lives, especially as it relates to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to talk about that. Then we're going to deal with uh, the relationship that we should be having with others. And that's in chapters 5, verses 21 through 26. Again, Jesus gives us clarity about uh, how we ought to treat each other and what it is that God calls us to do. In verses 27 through 30, he talks about adultery. Uh, He gives uh, a challenge in the whole realm and dialogue about um, uh, committing adultery. Uh, Then he talks about divorce and remarriage. Now, there's a controversial issue, is divorce and remarriage. So uh, uh, Jesus takes a rather firm stand on it. I know everybody is rushing away from their marriages and anxious to get rid of their spouse and run off into the new thing. But my brothers and sisters, that is the 
opposite of the will of God. And uh, well, you know, this is the word right here that we're going to be measured by when we stand before the judgment seat of God. This is what we're going to be judged by. Not what the world says, not what everybody else says, but how did you respond to what the world says? And we're going to dive into that and, and help you understand what the Bible says about that. Then there's uh, verses 33 through 37 that deals with oaths and promises. Again, the Bible gives us clarity about keeping your word. And so we'll delve into that. How to deal with those who hurt, offend, or sin against you uh, is in verses 38 through 42. How to deal with those who hurt you, offend you, or sin against you. Uh, again, Jesus gives us clarity. The thing I love about the scriptures is that it speaks to everything we have to deal with, everything you have to deal with, and gives you instructions on what you are to do and what it should, what it should be as it pertains to your behavior in response to how you might have been treated or what people may have done to you. And this is so, you know, there's no debate about these kinds of things. The Bible is crystal clear about what we should be doing. Then we talk in verses 43 through 48 about loving others, loving and caring for other people. Again, five verses, he talks about that. We'll deal with that. Uh, giving and managing your money is how chapter 6 opens up in the first four verses. What, what about your money? What about giving? What about how you manage your money? Very, very clear instructions from the Lord Jesus himself. In verses 5 through 18, he talks about prayer and fasting. Verses 5 through 18 in chapter 6, prayer and fasting. We'll, we'll go through and take a look at that, of, of what God's ex expectations of how we should fast and when we should fast, how we should pray. What's the model of prayer? God gives us, Jesus gives us these, these clear-cut instructions, and we want to be people who follow that. Uh, in chapter 6, verses 19 through 24, he talks about wealth and uh, how wealth plays in the kingdom of God. Verses 25 through 34, he deals with worry. Um, doesn't, doesn't want us to be people who are trapped in the arena of worry and concern. And so he speaks to that matter, tells us not to be worried. In chapter 7, the first six verses, uh, we talk about judging others. There's something that a lot of people need to hear. God uh, the Lord Jesus has challenged us about being critical of other people. And so um, we want to take a moment and some time and uh, get clarity about, again, about, about what judgment is. We'll talk about what judgment is and the fact that God has called us not to be judges of other people. Uh, that's chapter 7. Uh, in verses uh, uh, 7 through 12 of chapter 7, uh, he talks about what, what we should ask for in prayer, what, what, what our prayer life should contain and be a part of. Again, that's profound and powerful. Um, and then he talks about verses 13 and 14, two paths of life, two ways to live your life. We, we're going to hit on that shortly and briefly. How to discern false prophets is verses 15 through 20. Everybody with a collar, everybody with a reverend in front of their name, everybody who call themselves a preacher is not a true preacher. And you, you got to be wise enough to discern uh, and know the word enough to know who to listen to and who not to listen to, uh, who to subject yourself to and who not to subject yourself to. I love the clear, again, clear ability to discern righteousness from unrighteousness, what's right from what's wrong. And he gives us clear, Jesus gives us clear, uh, articulated biblical principles on evaluating that. Uh, in verses 21 through 23, he talks about the evidence of being a true disciple. Everybody who say they going to heaven ain't going there. Everybody who say they saved ain't saved. Uh, and so he talks about that. And then finally, the last thing we're going to talk about is in verses 24 through 27 that talks about two builders. Two people are building, and they build on they build differently. They build on different types of soil, and uh, one of them. Uh, is successful in their building, and the other one, their their building doesn't survive, and so um, that's going to that's that's going to be what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks, and I hope that you'll stick with me. And I come to recognize that everybody don't want to hear this kind of stuff, and everybody's not going to stick with me. But let me start off by this. I hope you got your Bibles open to to Matthew chapter five. Let me just read the first. 
two verses real quick because this is the, uh, the, the key point that I want to make here. It says this, uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, And seeing the multitude, he went up on a mountain, and when he, had, and when he was seated, he, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them. I love that. Right there. What do I love about it? I love verse 1 because there was, first of all, a multitude of people that were there. He climbed up into a mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him. Now, the point I want you to make is that I want to make is that there is a distinction between the, uh, the, the multitude and the disciples. Everybody in the crowd is not a disciple. Everybody in the crowd is not a disciple. Only the disciples climbed up the mountain. Only the disciples made their way up to where he was. Uh, only people who want to be doers of the word. Some people love to have their ears tickled. They love to hear good things, but they're not willing to be a doer of the word. So the whole multitude didn't come, just his disciples. And when it says his disciples in the scripture, it's not talking about the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples. It's not talking about just those 12. There were more that came up to listen to what he had to say and to see what he was teaching. And, and I believe tonight not everybody's going to want to stick with us through all of these topics. And, but for those who want to be doers, those who want to, uh, to be the people that has God's heart, and want your heart to be lined up with him, and you want to be a doer of the being a child of God, stick with me for the, for the probably, it'll probably take, you know, I'm sure through the summer for us to get through this. And uh, I'm, I want to just dive into this. So uh, this is important. This is critical. And uh, matter of fact, some of the things Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, by the time he finishes in chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, they were shocked at what he said. Some of the stuff that he put on the table the scripture says that they were astonished. They couldn't believe some of the stuff he was saying. They were in a state of disbelief about it. And you and I need to, uh, are going to be shocked at some of the things he said, especially if you've never been a student of the word, there might be a, a number of things that Jesus says that you might find uh, yourself shocked at. So we're going to deal with these beatitudes. That's the very first thing he talks about that we're going to deal with in these first 12, in the verses uh, 3 through 12, the Beatitudes. That's what they're called. And there are eight Beatitudes. And each attitude, however, is accompanied with a promise. If you have this attitude, here's the promise that goes with it. If you function in this way, with this heart, with this mindset, if you have this attitude, here is the promise that goes with it. Each one of the Beatitudes has a promise. Jesus begins by saying, blessed are the, blessed are the, that's what he says. Blessed are those who do this. Blessed are those who embrace this, believe this, walk in this, act in this way, whose hearts are in this posture. And he begins to give us these eight, eight things. And that word blessed means to be happy, uh, to, be, to be fortunate, well off, successful. To be right, to be straight. That's what it means. It's a series of things. He says, you, you will have favor. I like that term when we talk about blessed. You'll have favor. God will put a smile on your face. You'll have joy. Uh, you'll be supremely blessed. You, you will be sub above and beyond. Be, how, how I say? Beyond, beyond. You'll be blessed, fortunate, well-off, successful, and you'll be right. So, so the thing I love about what Jesus does in this he says, what's important to me is that your external behavior is dictated by your internal heart's condition. So many people don't get that. They think, and they, and they, if, if all you think you can do is you can just change your behavior, but you don't change your heart about it. You don't change your attitude about it. Your behavior will not remain consistent. And I know that to be true. I've seen that repeatedly over and over again where people... Um, might try to change their behavior, but they don't change. They don't let their heart be changed. But the will of the Lord is for us to let our hearts be changed. Let us function with him with a changed heart. That's what he wants us to do. So uh, uh, that's, that's who's going to be blessed. Those who, 
maintain and grab a hold of these attitudes. And we're going to go through all eight of them tonight. Here's the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Profound, powerful, amazing, important that Jesus said. This is a behavior, uh, a heart condition that will bless your behavior. Uh, that word poor means pauper. It means that you're, you're a pauper. You are without the spirit of God. What does that mean? It means that you recognize that you are without you need God. It is an attitude that says, I need the Lord. I'm not dependent on myself. Uh, I'm not leaning to my own understanding. Uh, some people have an attitude, I don't really need God. When it says the poor in spirit, these are the people who recognize that in my own strengths and abilities, I'm incapable. I'm unable to function. I'm unable to do the right things. I'm unable to be in the right attitude or the right posture. I need the Lord to help me. I need his spirit, his power and his mind. Every day, should, that should be our attitude, that we wake up saying, God, I need you. And that what the song saying, we need God. We need him in our lives. And blessed are those who are poor in the spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God says, I got a place for you. I'm going to bring you into my kingdom. When you... When you, when you don't walk in arrogance and pride and think that you got it all together and you can do it in your own strengths and power and abilities, when you adopt an attitude that says, I need God in my life, God says, I got a special place for you in my kingdom. It's going to be a place of power and a place in eternity. I got a place for you when you adopt that attitude and that spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God will bring his kingdom into your domain. That's the, first, that's the first attitude. That's the first mindset that he wants us to have that we need him. Matter of fact, I am persuaded and I know uh, that God does not cast his pearls before swine. He does not place himself uh, or his truth or his power or his might in the midst and before people who don't really recognize they need him. That's not how God, that's not how he functions. So uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. That's the first one, verse three. But then he goes and says this, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. And what does that mean? That means people who are grieving, that you've experienced something that leaves a feeling of grief. You've lost something. You've had some pain in your life. You, you might be lonely or you may have had a, 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 a level of loss in some way. Maybe a loved one died or maybe you uh, lost your career or maybe some, something has created grief in your life. God has compassion for those who are mourning. He recognizes the pain and the hurt. You've been broken. Uh, matter of fact, mourning also means that your heart is broken by the things that break God's heart. It means that. So it means both of those things. Uh, it, it, it has a twofold meaning. Uh, meaning number one is you've lost something. But number two, you grieve over the same things that causes God's heart to mourn and grief. Uh, I, I don't know where you are. When I see certain things happening uh, in the world and in our communities, it makes me cry. It makes my heart bleed. And God says, when you, when you have that kind of a heart, God says, I'm going to bring about some comfort for you. I, I love the promise. Here's the promise. He says, you shall be comforted. And that word comforted means that God's going to invite you to come near to him. And he's going to come near to you. He, he says, I'm going to come near to you. I'm, I'm not going to leave you abandoned or out there by yourself. What, what's more powerful than having the presence of God near you. That's what I want. I want God near me every day, in me, around me. I want him ordering my steps. I want him with me. And God says, when you, when you develop a, a level of, 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 uh, of, uh, of pain that you can see going on around you, God says, I'll comfort you. God, don't ever let us get to a place where we see pain and loss and hurt and tragedy and we're not affected by it. I think that, that breaks the heart of God 
that you, 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 know, you, you can see stuff going on and it doesn't even bother you, doesn't even uh, make you cry. Yeah, it, it, ought to cause, it, ought to cause us to, uh, it ought to cause us to be grieved. And God says, I'll be with you. Then uh, here's um, uh, the next one. It says, blessed are the meek. This is number three of the eight. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That word meek is a key word. It means humility. It means to be humble. That's what meek means. It means to have a level of humility. And you've heard me talk about humility a thousand times. I talk about humility all the time. It is one of the keys to the kingdom that you walk in humility. I've discovered it to be the secret of my success in my life. God loves humility. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God loves those who are humble. And humble, humble means that you are patient even in the reception of injury. Uh, that's one of the meetings that God... Um, uh, you're willing to wait on the Lord to fight your battles. You're willing to wait on God to give you victory, even when someone's trying to hurt you or create pain in you. But you're willing to be patient in the midst of that, that pain. Uh, you, you're willing to uh, patiently wait on God to fight your battles for you. You know God's got it all in control. God loves humility. If you write notes, write that down. God absolutely loves humility and he hates Pride. God hates pride. He rejects proud, the proud. He opposes the plan, NIV version says uh, in James 1. He opposes the plans of the proud, but he loves the humble. And, and I think each of us should examine our lives and just see where we are in our walk with the Lord. Are we in a place, are we walking in humility? Are we taking the back seat or are we trying to be in the front? Uh, are we patient that God will fight the battle for us when somebody tries to hurt us or are we trying to pay them back? Are we plotting and scheming and taking steps to hurt those who hurt us? And I can guarantee you one thing. If you try to hurt somebody who's hurting you, God takes his hands off the deal and leaves it in your hands. And, and, and you, don't, you don't want to be in that kind of posture. I'd much rather God fight my battles for me because when God finishes the battle, the battle is over. It's a done deal. It's finished. That's what God does. So it means to be patient. And then it says here in uh, Psalm 25, verse 9, that God guides and teaches the humble. God guides and teaches the humble. And that's borne out in Psalm 25, verse 9. It says, the meek will he guide in judgment and the meek he will teach his way. He will guide you and he'll teach you his way of how he wants it done. That's the best way to do it, saints. That's the way to do it is to let the Lord guide you and to let him uh, teach you his pattern and his ways. Knowing the ways of God, knowing his nature and how he functions is, again, the key to living a victorious life. Don't lean to your own understanding. Let's be taught the way God wants it to happen. What he wants to do, he will do that. And that, that's not the only thing he'll do. Uh, not, not only will he do that for the meek, but it also says in Isaiah 29, 19, let me share that with you, that your joy will be increased. God will increase your joy. Isaiah 29, 19. You be meek, you, you, you walk in humility, and listen, look at what, Isaiah 29, 19 says, it says, the meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. I love that right there. You want more joy? You're not having any joy? Look for, look for ways to walk in humility and be meek. That captures the heart of God. He'll increase your joy. I know it doesn't always look like that's, that makes sense or, or how does that work or where does that come from? I know a lot of people think in their thinking, uh, how, how in the world can that happen? But God is the one. This is what God looks for, and he makes it happen. Uh, and then it, the promise is this. It says, the meek shall inherit the earth. Uh, that means that they shall be an heir to a region. God will give you your own territory. Ha, 
Glory to God. I give God praise for that. He'll, he'll, he will, you will be an heir to a region of the earth. When your season and time comes, God will put you in charge of your own area. Hallelujah. Be it now or even in the future, God will make that happen. He will, I like to say God gives you your own zone. Uh, gives you your own level of authority and power in, uh, as a part of his kingdom. So uh, the meek shall inherit the earth. Look for opportunities to be meek. Here's number four. Those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. There's another profound word. God says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. What does that mean? Hunger means that you are craving for God. Thirst means you're thirsty for God. Craving and thirsting after what's right. I wonder what you're chasing after. I wonder what you're quick to get to. I wonder, is it righteousness? Um, here's the truth. Everybody has a hunger and a thirst for something. Love, fame, fortune, money, acknowledgement, acceptance. What is it that you hunger for? What is it that you're chasing after? A lot of people are chasing after stuff, things, clothes, fame. Uh, your lifestyle will show what you long for, what it is that you're hungering and thirsting after, because that's how you prioritize your time. That's what you do. But the scripture says, if you hunger and thirst after what's righteousness, what's right in the eyes of God, righteousness means to be in right standing with God. When you are chasing after being in right standing with God, that's what's pleasing and acceptable to him. You want to, you want to walk right with him, God will satisfy that. They shall be filled. God will fill you and satisfy you. You know, and I discovered, and a lot of people, I need to take my time here today, a lot of people uh, hunger and thirst after stuff, and after they get it, they find out it, it don't satisfy them. They're not filled. You, you can get all the money in the world. Money won't satisfy you. It won't say you can climb up the corporate chain and be make it to the top of the ladder. You could be the president, vice president or whatever it is your your thing is. But it still won't satisfy you. You can have all the women in the world, all the men in the world, but it won't satisfy you. Here's what fills you up when you are hungering and thirsting after being in the right standing with God. God says, I will satisfy you. I will fill you up uh, and put you in the right place and you'll be happy. I love that right here. And that's what it says. You'll be filled and satisfied in abundance is what the word filled means. You won't only, you will, you'll not only be satisfied, you'll be abundantly satisfied. You, you'll have more than enough of satisfaction. God has the ability and the capacity to do that. That's the that's the savior that we serve. That's what's so powerful about him. That's why I love him. I've tasted his satisfaction. I've tasted what it feels like to be, to be filled. And when you're filled with his satisfaction, it doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what size house you live in. It doesn't matter how much money is in your bank account. It doesn't matter how far up the chain of command or on the ladder of success you go because God gives you an eternal satisfaction inter internally that stuff can't satisfy. Things cannot satisfy. I try to preach that sermon all the time. I try to tell people that repeatedly. But sometimes the devil has sold people a bill of goods that makes people think it ain't true. That they think, once I get this, I'll be happy. But no, if you're not pursuing and if you're not thirsty and craving for, I mean longing for and reaching for righteousness. That's what I want. I want to be in the right standing with God. That's how I govern my decisions. I govern my decisions because I want to be in right standing with God. I want to do the things that are pleasing and acceptable to God. I want to be in right standing with him. And when you do that, God fills you and makes you satisfied beyond description. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I give God glory for that. He's the one and only satisfier that can satisfy you in life. I'm taking my, I'm acting like I got all day. Here's the next one. Here's number five. Blessed are the merciful for they shall 
obtain mercy. Blessed are those who are full of mercy. Compassion, pardon, that's what merciful means. It means that you are compassionate, you, you pardon people, you have pity. That's what that means. That means that you have a level of, un, of, of, of patience with other people. I think God's heart is bruised when you want mercy, but you don't extend mercy to others. God, God is looking for us to be people who are willing to say, God, I, I, I'll be patient with that person. I'll give them another chance. Think about, think about all the other chances God gave you. God gave you a multitude of another chance. He gave you plenty of chances to do what you needed to get to where you needed to be and to get right with him. He gave you plenty of chances. Some of y'all didn't get saved till you were late in life. And God let you live that old raggedy life and he showed you mercy. And now when you need to extend mercy to someone else, you don't show them any mercy. But that's what this means. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are those who are compassionate, who, are, who pardon, who have pity in, other, in others. And those who do that, they will receive the mercy of God. There is nothing like getting the mercy of God. I, I think I got a witness somewhere. I think somebody writing in the chat right now, I need God's mercy. Mercy is when God doesn't give you what you deserve. You deserve a whipping. You deserve to be punished. You deserve to go straight to hell. Do not pass go. You, do, you deserve the judgment of God. But he gave us mercy. It was his mercy that saved you. It was his mercy that gave you another chance. It's a mer his mercy that didn't just give you a second chance. He gave you a third chance and a fourth chance. and a, He just gave you another chance. He keeps giving you another chance. Thank God for his mercy. I don't know where y'all are, but I'm grateful that God has shown me mercy. And, and God wants you to have mercy on other people. Be people of compassion. Uh, I have been accused on many occasions of being too merciful. And I'm, I'm the first to admit and acknowledge that I'm guilty as charged. I, kept, I keep giving people more and more chances, more and more and more and more chances. Get it right, get it right. And I have to admit, though, my patience in my older age here is kind of running a little thin, but I know for a great portion of my life, uh, I've been extremely compassionate and extremely patient with people. I mean, I, especially when I talk about the staff. There are staff people I probably should have let go long ago, but I kept giving them chance after chance after chance. And when I say, when I say I've lost some of that ability uh, I've learned to put some systems in place that will give you some compassion and mercy. But, but there does come a time when um, we have to recognize that you're not the right person for the job. And we've had to let some people go in the past. Uh, but if I was going to be criticized of something, I'd rather be criticized that I had too much mercy rather than people saying I didn't have any mercy or that I was a hard taskmaster or, or, or unforgiving I don't think anybody can level that charge against me in my life and in my pattern of how I treated people. And you want the same thing said about you, that you are patient and understanding and because you want the same mercy extended to you um, that hopefully you extend to other people. So examine, I, I'm, I'm just, I want to make a challenge here today. Uh, I just got a couple more of these to go. I just want to make a challenge to you today for, for everybody in the, in, the, in the camp, everybody watching this, just examine how you are treating other people. And are you a person of mercy? God loves mercy. Here's number, number six. Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. And here's the promise, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart. What does that mean, the pure in heart? That means your heart is pure and you want on your outside, you want your outside actions to match your inside attitude. You want them both to be proper. You want to you have a pure heart. Uh, the problem with the scribes and Pharisees, the scripture says, is that they, they didn't have a pure heart. They had uh, behavior, but without the right heart. They went through the motions but their hearts weren't straight. And Jesus is speaking, uh, he's teaching the, this, these disciples, he's trying to teach them. 
and say to them, I don't want you to be like the scribes and the Pharisees. They, they walk around in their religious garb and, and they got the right um, uh, uh, behavior, but their hearts are corrupt. And, and ultimately, and this is an important point, jot this point down. I'm not going to bring it up on the screen, but this is an important point, is that when God looks at us, he looks at our heart. What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's in your heart? God looks at our heart. And he said, blessed are the pure in heart, because the promise is they'll see God. When you have a pure heart, God says, I'm going to show myself to you. I'm going to let you see me, see my hand. And people whose hearts are not right, they can't see God. They don't see, they don't see the move of God and the hand of God. In, in Matthew 25, I'm sorry, Matthew 23, verses 25 through 30, uh, listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you, ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but, when they, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Uh, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, that's a grave, a tomb, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. What they're saying is we wouldn't have killed the prophets. We would have let them live. We wouldn't have been a part of those who rejected their message. But yet, they're, yet these, these scribes and Pharisees are rejecting the message and the ministry of Jesus himself. The, the ultimate prophet, the prophet of prophets, they've rejected. So they, they, are, they are those whose hearts are not pure and right with God. And Jesus calls them out. He calls them hypocrites. And that word hypocrite means to be a play actor. You play in the role, but it's, it's not real. You're putting on a mask. That's what it means. You put on a mask. You, you, you're, you're acting. You're, you're perpetrating. You're pretending, and you're not true and real. He called them hypocrites. Their behavior uh, was not the same externally as what was going on inside their heart. They were full of jealousy and envy and malice and hatred and covetousness and deceit and backbiting and despitefulness and lust and gossip and I can go on down and down and down the list. Their motives weren't pure. They didn't do things that they did for the right reason. They had the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. They had the pride of life. They didn't have the right inwardly, inwardly profit, uh, uh, posture. But God says when your heart is pure, when you get your heart pure, and you know some of y'all don't, don't have pure hearts. Your motives are not right. You don't think the best. The thing that God does for us, he will perform spiritual surgery on us and take our hard hearts out and give us a heart of, of flesh. Give us compassion and patience with other people. Ask God, I tell you, cry out to God and, he'll, and he will give you a heart of flesh. Repent. That's the key word, repent. And give him your heart and say, Lord, take control of my life. Take control of my thinking. And give me a pure heart and God will give you a pure heart. And when he gives you a pure heart, you shall see God. You'll see the hand of God. Your eyes will be open to be able to honor God and see God. When you have the capacity to see God in the smallest of things, to see his hand moving, to see him orchestrating the affairs of your life, to see him doing this, the smallest of things he will do for you. You'll see him doing it for you. I can tell when a person's heart's not right because they can't see God in nothing. They don't, they don't see God nowhere. They can't see his hand. They don't see how awesome and powerful he is. They've been blinded by the enemy. The enemy has blinded them. But the God we serve loves us enough that he says, I'm going to help you be able to get to a place of seeing me. And that's what I want to do in life. I want to see God. Here's number seven. 
Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. God says, be a person that is a peacemaker. That means to make peace. Go ahead, Pastor, you deep. To make peace. Yeah, you're not trying to create arguments or fights or wrestling with people. You're not trying to create arguments, but instead you, you're a peacemaker is what he says. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, follow peace with all men. You know what that means? Do everything within your power to live peaceably with people. And sometimes that means when you want to live peaceably with people. Uh, matter of fact, uh, let, me, let me read this. Uh, Hebrews 12, 14, it says, follow peace with all men. That's what it says. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Again, I love this passage right here. It is, it is uh, again, the ability to see God by being a peacemaker. And not only that, but Romans 12, 18 says, um, uh, as much as possible, live peaceably with everybody. Uh, do everything in your power, Romans 12, 18. Do everything in your power. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. And you know what that means? That means sometimes you have to take the second seat. You got to take the back row. Sometimes you got to take the hit. And only a Christian, a person with Jesus in their heart, can take the hit. I, I have... Of um, counsel with people who are dis disagreeing with each other and fighting and arguing with each other and hating on each other. But I always put it on the table. Who's willing to be the peacemaker? Who's the person willing to take the hit? And I challenge them. I challenge them. Normally it's Christian church people that I have to deal with. Church, the, church, the church people. And I'm going to find out who's going to take the, who's going to be the peacemaker here? Who's going to reflect the attitude of God? The attitude of God is to take the back seat, take the financial hit, humble yourself. That, there's, the, there's, there's the pattern that God wants us to have. Stop pushing for what's, what, to make yourself the winner. This is the right attitude that the Lord wants you, wants you to have. And, and it says right here, and I, I love this, I love this. He says, he said, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Now there's a real child of God. Right there is the person who's willing to take the back, the back seat, willing to be the peacemakers, just willing to take the hit to maintain peace. You, Christians don't have to be right all the time. We don't have to win all the time. We'll be peacemakers. We'll do whatever it takes, even if I'm wrong. Isn't that what Jesus did? He gave us the capacity to have peace with God by him taking the wrong. He didn't do no sin, but when he went to the cross, he took the wrong. He took the hit. And that's what you and I are called to do. Look at that in your personal life. Are you taking the hit or do you always have to be right? I ain't getting no help right here. Ain't nobody saying nothing. I ain't hearing nothing. That's what God calls us to do, to be the peacemakers. Now let me hit this last one right here. It says, um, this is the last beatitude. And it deals with how the world responds to our actions, our behaviors, and our beliefs. The last and the eighth beatitude is giving us instructions on what our posture and attitude should be as it relates to the world's response to our beliefs, how we act, what our behavior is, what our attitude is. And, and, and let me prepare you today a lot of these things I've talked about today, the world won't understand. And don't expect the world to understand. Don't expect them to embrace you and celebrate you because they're not going to. That's what Jesus said right here in this very last one, verses 11 and 12. He says this. He says, blessed are they when, which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake. We'll come back and talk about that in a moment. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets 
who were before you. Uh, That's self-explanatory. They they persecuted and killed the prophets before us, and we can anticipate that they will treat us the same. Uh, You know, I've I've learned and discovered that uh, the reactions, let me talk about this for uh, just a moment, the reactions of the world when you stand for righteousness, when you stand for what the Bible teaches that's true, uh, the reactions is you will be persecuted. You will be talked about. People will oppress you, pursue to hurt you, and to follow after damaging you, hurting your name, your reputation. Why? Because, because um, you stood up for what's right. They will, they will persecute you. Matter of fact, that's one of the signs that you are indeed a child of God because they're going to persecute you and that you're standing for right. And, and, and the thing that the scripture says that we need to be clear, um, uh, it says, uh, uh, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all manner against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because they persecuted the prophets before you. So I, I think the heart of God and the will of the Lord is to uh, give us the capacity and the ability and the mindset to recognize that the reason they're persecuting us and a lot of times they're lying and saying things on you that's not true and they're oppressing you. Why? Because you stood up for what's right. You took a stand for what's holy, what's pleasing and acceptable to God. Paul said in this, we are persecuted. We're going to be persecuted. But guess what? We are persecuted, but not forsaken. God hasn't left us. That's what Paul said. Paul said, let me remind you that you're going to get persecuted, but you will not be forsaken. God will not leave you. I love that. Here's uh, here's, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10. Uh, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted. I like this, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body, the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. We will be rejected and we will be persecuted. Persecution goes with the territory. But guess what? Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.17 says the persecution is only for a moment. It doesn't last long. It's a matter of fact, Paul says it's a light affliction in 2 Corinthians 4.17. Jot that down. 2 Corinthians 4.17. Here's what he says. It, the persecution is not going to last forever. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Ooh, that's powerful, profound, amazing. It's only for a short period of time. It's light. And guess what? It, when we get on the other side, when we get to glory, what we've gone through on this side is light compared to the glory that God gives us in his kingdom. It, it, does, it can't even compare. That's what, that's what he has to say. It is only for a moment. And 2 Timothy 2.12 says, if we suffer on this side, we'll reign with him on the other side. If we go through hell on this side, we will have victory on on the other side where we will reign with Christ. And that's a matter of fact, that's a truth that Jesus proclaims multiple times that the hope we have is in the fact that we have an opportunity to reign with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he, will all, he also will deny us. So we're not going to deny him. That's not going to be our call of the day. We're going to be faithful and dedicated to the Lord and we're going to do what he tells us to do. And we're going we're gonna to take the suffering. I don't mind uh, uh, suffering and being talked about and rejected. I don't mind it. I'll accept it and I'll take it. And I have been lied on and, and said all manner of evil against me. And guess what? Here's the other thing it says right here. Paul said, God will ultimately deliver us. He will bring us out. He will deliver us. Uh, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. He was delivered and brought out of all of them. God brought him out. And God will bring us out. And he'll bring you out uh, in time. Amen. He'll bring you out. He will not leave you there to stay. And then finally, in this point, and, I, and then I'll be finished. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. Uh, here's what it says. And, and if you're taking notes, nothing can separate us. And here's what Romans 8, 20, 35, 39 says. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. We are in the we have the opportunity to be able to be in the door of having God's favor and protection and deliverance on our side. We are children of the Most High God. And I, and I know that people don't get excited about this. This is not something that people celebrate and run to and get thrilled about. But my job is to tell you, expect it. It's coming down your road. It's going to come down your pike and down your path. It's going to come. But when it's all said and done, God's going to bring us out and he's got promises for us that the world, nothing can compare to what God has in store for us. So I want to challenge you today, uh, having gone through these Beatitudes, do you have the right attitudes? Check your attitudes against these eight attitudes. These are the Beatitudes, the attitudes for you to be. And if you can't be those, you need Jesus. You need him to help you be those things, be inside of you. Be in your heart, be in your mind, be in your attitude. If you don't have Jesus in your life, you can't. You cannot do it. You're not able to do it. You can't. I'm going to stop right there. Amen. I'm, I'm grateful today for you joining me today. I, I know I've taken a long time, but I'm grateful. Uh, I, I got more to go, but I'm not going to be able to do the rest of, those, the rest of it tonight. And this one last verse had so much in it, but that's okay. You've been listening to FBCG Live with Pastor John K. Jenkins, Sr., if you don't have Jesus in your life, you will not be able to have the right mindset. If you've been blessed by this message and would like to help us reach more people through this ministry, please click the link in the podcast description or visit our website, fbcglenarden.org slash give to donate. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you'll subscribe so that you'll never miss an episode. Be sure to tune in next week.